do if you have a bible i'd love you to grab one i, I put something in the chat earlier just to say that we're going to have our noses in the text quite a bit particularly in the second half of the sermon so if you do have a physical bible i think you'll find that helpful um a particular warm welcome to you um good morning let me lead us in prayer um, as we look at psalm 71 thinking about the idea of god as being our refuge Lord, as we often pray, we don't simply want to grasp this as a theoretical concept, but we want to be those who, with your help, live it. And so we pray that in the midst of our current uncertainty, but no doubt um, future stresses and strains and messiness and the reality of living in um, the world this side of this side of Genesis 3 and, and this side of Revelation 21, we pray that in the midst of the brokenness of our world, we would look to you as the one who can be our refuge. We pray this for ourselves, but we do pray it as well for brothers and sisters in Beirut, as we've been thinking, who, whom their life has been turned upside down in all kinds of ways over the last few um, years and months, and even this last week particularly. Lord, help us to turn to you and to trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You're cautiously walking across the playground. It's your first day at primary school and you feel tiny. And the bell that marks the start of a school day and the start of a new era for your life is about to be rung. And you feel tiny and you feel terrified. You look over your shoulder and there are your parents standing by the gate, waving you off, about to leave. And, and suddenly you can't help it. You sprint back to them. You're engulfed in their arms and you feel safe and protected. You feel loved. Eight years later at secondary school now and you're the gangly teenager just getting used to the growing body and there's a group of older kids who have taken to making your life a nightmare every day after school or at least they they would if they could catch you and there they are again standing by the front of the school gate wait, waiting for you and there you are again leaving by the side gate sprinting for your life proverbially knowing what it will mean if they catch you. And once again, you duck into the alleyway and once again, they sprint past with their faces of confusion. Eight years later, it's your first job. It's your first day at your first job and you're feeling fearful and you want to make a good impression. You want to start well, you're dressed in your new outfit. You've got your new work bag, your new smart shoes. They are polished and you're on the bus crammed up against everyone else trying to give the impression of having a life that's together trying to give the impression of being a grown-up and 8:15, and the bus is going to be on time it's fine but you're there trying to avoid eye contact trying to read the metro and it's the traffic lights before your stop in town and the heavens open you've got your new outfit your new bag your new shoes but you've got no umbrella and you loiter at the front of the bus until it's awkward and then you go for it. You sprint down the street towards the office trying to stay out of the puddles, but it's just, it's not happening. Your feet are getting wetter. You, you swerve into a newsagent and you take shelter as the clouds pass over. Eight years on, life has got messy. Relationships have got messy and there are stories of mistakes that you've made and friends whom you've trusted who have learnt turned on you and let you down and you feel alone and you feel tired and you feel ashamed 
And if you can just make it to the weekend in one piece, then you can head home to your parents. They insisted that you came. And you were reluctant at first, but, but now you're looking forward to it. And Friday night comes, and you battle on through the traffic, and you arrive at theirs at half past ten. And you're met by familiar arms. Arms that accept you. And so the tears come. And for the first time in ages, you feel safe and protected and secure and you feel you feel loved today we're in the psalms we're thinking about what it means to have god as our refuge the one we go to in times of trouble god is our rock our shelter our shield our protector and each of us will know something of what it means to feel like we need that refuge we need that protection. We feel unsafe. We're not sure where to go or who to turn to. And as the psalmists write, they know that. They, they know the messiness of the world. They know the brokenness of sin. They know, they know what Monday morning feels like. You see, whenever the Bible speaks of refuge, it's always in the context of threat. When there's something wrong or something dangerous or something scary in the world there are different reasons why we might feel that they might be physical things maybe in seeking refuge from a rainstorm job 24 for example or isaiah 4 or, or shade from a hot sun as in judges 9 or protection from opponents psalm 61 they may be physical things, but they may not be. They may be spiritual or emotional things. Refuge from shame, as we'll see in Psalm 71, as Catherine read for us. Or, or from loneliness, Psalm 142. Whatever the circumstance, though, we need refuge because we live in a world that is wrecked by sin. We live in a world of dangers. Dangers outside us, but brokenness inside as well. You know, the truth is we can't avoid these realities they are inevitable they are always going to be there they are always going to be part of life we we can't avoid them we can only seek shelter from them maybe this last season maybe these last few months have, have shown us something of that even more clearly in our own world but perhaps even those outside the church as well the the reality of our helplessness in being able to avoid hardship Of course the truth about being a refuge though it is that it has a power to protect us god is able to save us from sin he is able to save us from the consequences of sin he is able to protect us through the dangers of a broken world he is the one who can be our refuge in the scriptures he, he provides shelter in the storm he provides vindication in the face of shame he provides friendship in the time of loneliness and so it's in him that we can find refuge in the mess of life. It's fair to say, though, it's more than that, isn't it? He is also our refuge on the day of judgment. It's striking, actually, in the Psalms, Psalm 1 and 2 at the very beginning, if you like, are the doors through which we enter the book of Psalms. They set up so many of the themes and ideas, the, the shape of what's going on. They introduce us to main characters. They are our way into the Psalms. And yet, do you remember what, what do you have at the end of Psalm 2? 
Do you remember all the nations raging at God? And yet verse 11 and 12, the end of Psalm 2, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. You see, for those who, who kiss the son, for those who trust Christ, there is refuge from his justice. One day God will come and he will make everything right with the world again. He will get rid of all that is wrong with the world. But of course, the problem with that is that we are not right. And yet if we take refuge in Christ, if we look to him, if we, if we kiss the son, then he takes the justice that we deserve upon himself at the cross and so then we are safe actually the bible would say that the greatest need that all men and women have is to shelter from from the reality of our sin from the reality of god's just anger against our sin but in christ and in christ alone we have that shelter we can take refuge in him now there's a lot more we could say this big picture idea of refuge in the psalm some of the striking metaphors of god as the compassionate refuge the one who provides the the shepherd in psalm 23 the mother bird in psalm 91 the stronghold the light in psalm 27 and yet the point to latch onto at this point is that whatever we're dealing with we can entrust our life to god's care whatever we're dealing with whether it's things that others know about or just things you've got going on inside that nobody else knows about. The psalmist would have us know we can entrust our life to God's care, whatever comes our way. He is the shelter, he is the refuge we need, and, and he is enough. Whatever that thing is that makes you feel not safe, he is enough. Now that might feel like a simplistic answer, and of course there's, there's more to it than that. But he would have you look to him as the one who can give you refuge. Now, if you have your Bibles on you, um, do pick up Psalm 71. Catherine read it for us. And we'll think about how God is a refuge and how that works out in reality. Um, we're going to do, if you like, three big picture ideas about the psalm. And then we're going to zoom in a bit closer and have three sort of smaller focus things. OK, so three big picture ideas about the psalm first. If you do grab it, that'd be really helpful. My copy. Um, here we are. So the first thing, first thing to notice about Psalm 71 is that it is a trusting prayer. Okay, it's a trusting prayer. You'll see that idea of, of refuge, of finding safety in God throughout the mess is a, is a key theme that works its way right the way through. It's there, for example, in, in verses one to three. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, rescue me, deliver me, turn your ear to me, save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me for you are my rock and my fortress. Or it's again explicitly there in verse 7, I have become a sign to many, you are my strong refuge. In simple terms, this is a trusting prayer, it's looking to God. Second picture though, the second idea, um, just as we sweep over, is it, it is a lifelong prayer. Do you notice that? Have a look down. You hear that the psalmist, quite possibly David, verse 5 and 6, have trusted from his youth 
But now, verse 9, he is old. Verse 18, he's got grey hair coming through even. The years have rolled on and he's not the young man that he once was. And yet still, David looks to the Lord. It's important because as we grow older, we may well mature. But that doesn't mean that we'll need to stop asking for God's help. We will never graduate from having to look to him as our refuge. This is a a lifelong journey of faith and trust because it's a, a lifelong journey of hardships and trials. And they will keep coming. And so we will keep having to trust. And the trials will keep coming. And so we will keep having to have faith. He's not just our refuge when we're young in the faith, but he's our refuge right through the daily discipline of looking to him. Maybe you're, and maybe you're an older believer watching in and you can testify to something of that, the need to keep trusting as old age, indeed as old age brings other challenges, different challenges, more challenges. God is always the refuge that we need as his children. Third big picture idea, just sweeping over the psalm again, is that it's a messy prayer. Okay, so it's trusting, it's lifelong, and it's messy. That is, I don't think Psalm 71 is hugely linear. It's not like at the beginning it's difficult, he looks to the Lord, and then it's all sorted. No, it swings back and forth from trust in the Lord and affirmation of our confidence in the Lord, and then reaffirmation of our confidence in him, And then there's more prayer and looking to him for refuge again, throwing ourselves upon him again. Hardship again. It's messy, which I think again reflects the messiness of life, doesn't it? We're we're forgetful. We we think we've learnt the lesson. We think we've got it sorted, but it turns out we've not learnt it that well, actually. Or or maybe it's two steps forward, but then then it's two steps back again. We think we trust God until another challenge comes our way and we then we realise we're still too reliant upon ourselves. The lessons we thought we'd learnt, maybe we hadn't learned them so well. Well, So I think the shape of the psalm shows a bit of that, a bit of that, that messiness, a bit of that reality. Trusting, lifelong, messy. Now we're going to zoom right in. A little bit more depth and this is particularly where it'd be great to have the bible in front of you um, we're going to chop it up thematically into three aspects to try and help us see how practically we look to god as refuge okay the first one is that we call out okay we call out the truth is we don't exactly know what the situation is for the psalmist that means they need to take refuge in the lord but he needs deliverance from something or, or someone. He calls out to the Lord. Striking that for a number of church traditions, um, this psalm, Psalm 71, is a psalm they reflect upon leading up to the cross, to the death of Christ at Easter time. They see parallels with something of what Jesus went through and something of what the psalmist is facing here. They, they see parallels with the mess, the, the need for rescue, the need for deliverance. The reality of trials and hardships. You can have a look down. So there are key words. Um, he uses words like rescue and deliver there in verse 2. Or, or deliver again in verse 4. Or, or save me, verse 2. Or, or indeed save me again, verse 3. The psalmist doesn't hold back. 
but he calls out. And certainly other people are involved. Other people are, are in large part what he needs saving from or who he needs saving from. Verse 4, deliver me, my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of those who are cruel and evil. They are wicked and evil and cruel, but what do they do? And again, glance a bit further down to verse 10 and 11. You see, for, for my enemies speak against me. Those who wait to kill me conspire together. They say, God has forsaken him, pursue him, seize him, for, for no one will rescue him. It's an interesting theme in the Psalms, isn't it? So often it's actually words that do the real damage. Words that are powerful. Power to encourage but actually, as is often the case, power to unsettle, taunts and sneers and derision from enemies that we kid ourselves when we say that words don't hurt. Words do hurt. Words have power. And so they speak against him, saying that God has forsaken him. God has turned his back on him. God has forgotten him, trying to shake his foundations. And then they seek to try and catch him and, and get rid of him. And, and so verse 13, may my accusers perish in shame. May those who want to harm me be covered with scorn and disgrace. And that shame idea in verse 13 there is an important one as you, as you work your way through the psalm. It's a drumbeat that plays right through. I mean, it's there at the very beginning. Have a track it with me. Verse 1, in you, Lord, I've taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Let me get shame again halfway through in verse 13, as we just saw. He asked that instead of him being shamed, they would be shamed. But then flick to the end of the psalm and you see, my tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long for those who wanted to harm me. He continues, those who wanted to harm me have been put to shame and confusion. See, it's a very real threat that the psalmist is dealing with here. And yet he calls out to the Lord. Actually, if you were with us on last Sunday in the afternoon at the old schoolhouse, we, we, we saw that those who wrote the Psalms, they're not scared of talking about it. They don't bottle it up and keep it all inside, but they go to the Lord and tell him. They tell him what's going on. That might apply to all kinds of areas in your life, all kinds of challenges and tensions. But it's right that we go to him and we tell him. God doesn't want us to just bottle it up. For us as a church body, um, if you were there on, on first Tuesday, again, five days ago, you, you'll know that we're soon to enter a season of, of prayer and fasting for us as a church as we look ahead to, to the next stage of the building process as the planning portal opens. To, together to trust the Lord, to take refuge in him, to call out to him. Because this psalm is not just an idea. But it's something that we as a community of faith will do. We will seek to trust him. We will call out to the Lord. And what will our posture be as we do that? Well, I take it secondly, it will be with confidence. So call out to the Lord, confidence in the Lord, the second theme. You see, despite the mess of the psalm, despite the fact that he comes again and again to the Lord, the back and forth, he has confidence that the Lord will hear him. And why is that? 
Well, it's interesting. I think it's because he calls on God's righteousness as the basis for his confidence. Again, that's a theme that goes right through. Did you spot it as Catherine read it for us? Um, verse 2, in your righteousness, rescue me, deliver me. Or verse 15 and verse 16, they speak of righteous deeds. Or verse 19, your righteousness, God, reaches to the heavens, you who have done great things. Or verse 24, my tongue indeed will tell of your righteous acts. And why does his righteousness matter? Well, I think it matters because in the story of the Bible, God is righteous. And so he looks after his people, his, his righteous people, in fact. He is faithful to those in his kingdom. He, he hears their prayers. He protects them. He shields them. His, his righteousness means he does what is right because he's chosen them. Because they are his. And so he, he will look after them. He will look after us. I think it's why, the God, why God speaks of, sorry, why the psalmist speaks of God's protection throughout his life. Because, because God is righteous. We're trusting in his character. We're trusting in the kind of God he is, the kind of God he's revealed himself to be. I wonder whether we have a similar kind of confidence. I think we ought to. We are his. We are his children. He, indeed, he has got us. We, we see that. We see his love and his protection for us at the cross. We see his righteousness perfectly revealed for us at the cross. And so he's got us. And whether it's a global pandemic or, or a planning portal, or whatever that situation is in your world, Morgan Road, he's got us. We can have confidence that he is our refuge. And in one sense, whatever the next few weeks, months, years turn out like, we, actually, we can still trust that he's got us. And his plans are perfect. Maybe your concern is uncertainty about the future. Maybe, as we all are, we're tired of Zoom church. Maybe we're tired of having to sing to a laptop or or not see the people face to face and in 3D that we long to. That's probably you, that's probably me. But you know what? We can look to what God has done in our lives. And we know that he is righteous and he is good and we know that he has got us. Maybe we can say with the psalmist, from birth we have relied on him. Maybe we can consider, has he ever let us down? Has he ever got it wrong? Or are his ways perfect? If the problem is that, that messiness that we saw, with every new challenge we face, we seem to forget most of how he got us through it last time. Most of his faithfulness last time. And so we panic and we stress and we're anxious. And we forget to look to him for refuge. But he's righteous. He, he can't be unrighteous unfaithful towards his people we, we can trust him we can call out to him we can have confidence in him but then the third one which i'm going to be honest is a surprise to me from this psalm is the way the psalmist responds to god's faithfulness 
third C, he, he communicates about it. He, he calls out, he has confidence, and then he communicates. Again, did you notice that as Catherine read? I think it's strange. I wasn't expecting it. When God is our refuge, we ought to be a people who praise him for that and who tell others about that. Have a look at it with me. He, he always has done, but perhaps even more so now. He praises God firstly. He communicates by praising God. So again, sweep over verse six. From birth, I've relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. Verse eight, my mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. Verse 14, as for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. Or keeps going. Verse 22 and verse 23, I will praise you with the heart for your faithfulness, my God. I will sing praise to you with the lyre. My, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have delivered. We can't miss this, can we? Modern road, we, we, it is right that we praise God as we find our refuge in him. Again, that can be a challenge. It can be a challenge because our hearts can often be cold and ungrateful. It can be a challenge because our hearts often seek to find refuge in other things. Or we can focus on the bad things and the things that aren't quite right, rather than remembering what God has done and how far he has brought us. And so it's a helpful reminder for us as a church that we are to be a people of praise. A people who sing praise to him. Even if the Zoom service isn't working quite so well or the music isn't quite streaming as it's meant to. It doesn't mean that our hearts are not to be those full of praise. So he communicates firstly to God and he praises him. The second one, though, is he, he communicates by telling others. Again, have a sweep over and see if you pick them up. Verse 15. My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts all day long, though I know not how to relate them all. Verse 18. Even when I am old and grey, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Maybe that's telling those within the church community. Maybe it's building faith in one another. It's encouraging one another as we remember together. It's telling the next generation down. It's, it's, it's investing in, in the children, in, in the youth, younger Christians. But maybe even it's, it's telling others as well, the friends, the family, the neighbours, the colleagues, as part of our, our witness to them. We tell them of our righteous refuge in him and of what he's done for us. And maybe they, maybe they want to join us. Maybe they realise the messiness and scariness and brokenness of the world. They need to join us. But... But you see, the psalmist can't keep it in. He can't keep the news to himself. It just bubbles out. It just overflows. He's got to tell others about it. Again, it's, it's striking in our messy and broken world. Where, where, where do you go for refuge? Where do you look for rescue? Or how would you finish the sentence that we asked the kids? Where, I feel safe when... When what? When do you feel safe? Where do you go for safety? 
where do you go for refuge? Because I, I think it's only in the Lord that we can truly find refuge. It's only in him that we can truly be safe. We, we recognise, we remember that in Christ we are his. And as we do that, we'll find refuge. In Christ, God alone is our refuge. He is our rock. He is our shelter. He is our shield. He is our protector. In Christ, we are safe. We're safe even from God's righteous anger against our sin. Brothers and sisters, look to him as the one who is our refuge. Let me pray. Lord, we confess to you the, the fear that we all feel at times, anxiety, tension, stress. We see the complexity and the brokenness and the mess of the world. And so we pray that with the psalmist, we would be those who call out to you. And who do that in confidence because of your righteousness. Because of your faithfulness. And indeed, who praise you and who tell others. Well, we're sorry when we look for refuge in other things or other people or other situations or circumstances or ideas. Forgive us, please. Show us again the beauty of Christ. Might we be those who take refuge in him, who look to him, who trust him, who receive the grace that he offers. In Jesus' name. Amen. Oh,